Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. I've had many students over the years say, oh, I want to be a partner. I was like, oh, you want to be a business owner? They're like, no, I want to be a partner in public accounting. I'm like, okay, that's what I said. It's a business owner. It's just a certain type of business. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, the CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Tim Pike, a partner with the CPA firm Howard LLP in Dallas, is our guest on the show this week. I was considering inviting him on the show because of his career success and, and really all the time he spends giving back to the profession. But then I came across a comment online where he was helping another individual with their decision-making process regarding really how to navigate through their options in college and, and beyond that in their career. And I knew he was someone we needed to get on the show. In addition to giving some really great insight in this interview into what it means to be a partner at an accounting firm, he talks about his passion for teaching a college class occasionally making the choice between tax and audit if public is something that you're considering, and then best of all, how he got into accounting because he just couldn't stand paperwork. That's an inside joke, of course, but you're going to have to listen in to get the rest of the story. As always, I really enjoy recording this. Without further ado, here we go with Tim Pike of Howard LLP. Tim, I appreciate you making the time for this interview. Thank you very much for accepting the invitation. Absolutely. Pleased to be invited, and, and hopefully something that I share will uh, inspire something in someone else. Well, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Well, as I mentioned to you previously, I had thought about inviting you on the show earlier on, actually, but honestly, it was during busy season, so I knew scheduling was probably going to be a little bit of an issue. But then I saw you respond to someone who I believe was a recent graduate on LinkedIn regarding a career question they had. And I thought, hey, you know, this guy's going to be excellent to have on the show because anyone that cares enough to help out another budding professional is perfect for us. We're all about sort of showcasing the different options that there are out there for accountants. So thank you very much. You've had a successful career, certainly, you know, working your way up to partner there at Howard. But I always like to start at the beginning, if possible. How did you decide to even think about becoming an accounting major in the first place? What led you to accounting? I originally did not want to be an accountant. I originally thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. I had a injury when I was in high school in track, and my knee was it was just not in a good place. So I, I did quite a bit of physical therapy, and I thought, oh, I'd, I'd like to do what those guys do. Fortunately, in that field, similar to our field now, there was a lot of internships pushed on the students. And so I did an internship that lasted pretty much all of one summer. And during that internship, I realized that I didn't 
like it at all. It, it just that uh, it wasn't what I expected. I, I expected the the physical therapy part that I saw that was right in front of me when someone was working with me and on me. And so when I found out it was there was a lot more paperwork to it and whatnot that it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So I, I I decided that I wasn't going to do that and I couldn't originally decide. It wasn't an immediate decision to go to accounting. But at that time, I happened to be working at a restaurant that was on a lake and there was a, the head chef would talk about how he invests in mutual funds and every seven years his money doubles and that sounded pretty interesting to me. And then I started looking into it. I started investing, even when I was just a couple of years into college, I started investing in mutual funds. And I noticed that a lot of mutual fund managers were CPAs, not, not a majority, but there was quite a few of them. And so I told myself, well, I could be a CPA and a mutual fund manager and do the things that I like to do. And hopefully I would be helping out other people kind of realize their retirement whatever that may look like. Well, it turned out that this guy was completely telling me a story and he wasn't investing all this money, but he was right about, you know, money doubling every seven years or so. That led me going into accounting. I I was trying to decide between finance and accounting and finally decided, well, I think I can do the most with the CPA certificate. So I flat out switched. When I finally made that decision, I flat out switched from human biology under major or undergraduate degree to accounting. And I was surprised that was at the same school because I didn't even know my school had accounting. But that's that's (laughs) kind of how the transition occurred from this high schooler that thought he was going to be a physical therapist to a college kid who decided that maybe accounting is the way to go. That is interesting. To summarize, there was too much paperwork in physical therapy, so you decided to become an accountant. <laughs> yes, I know. You say it, you say it like that, and I, I, I share the story, and everybody's like rolling their eyes like, uh, that makes no sense. But in a, in a way, it does. Once you get to know the, the accounting industry versus what I was looking at, I, I didn't want to do like workers' comp paperwork and proving whether True. or not somebody was really injured. Uh, there's all sorts of fraud in that area. So, you know, is there, is there some sort of soft tissue damage that you can't prove is really there or not there? So it, it was that paperwork that was repetitive versus what I do every day, you know, is more on the theoretical side. So there is paperwork, but at least it's not identical every time. Okay. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. It is sort of funny when you summarize it. though. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is, and I've heard that a lot. And I've the first time I ever described it to someone, I heard those words come out of my, out of my mouth, and I was like, "Wow, that doesn't sound like I know what I'm doing." <laughs> so you you become an accounting major because of your interest in investment. Did you immediately pursue the exam after you got out of school, or did you wait a while, or how did that work? I did immediately go for the exam. I assumed that I would forget everything, and so I would need to immediately move in to utilize everything that I I had in school. I took the exam back when it was given twice a year, and you had four sections that were given over two days. And that's you only had limited opportunities. Twice a year, you could take the exam. So you really had to, you know, there wasn't a good reason you, you couldn't schedule it or something like that. It wasn't around your schedule. It was around theirs. 
and especially when it was given in May and November, the, the opportunities to study really, really hard during busy seasons were less than the November exam. So many graduates at that time kind of felt that November was their time. If they didn't pass their first November, they'd have to wait all the way until the next November. So I, I certainly felt the same push. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, back then, you you didn't have much of a choice on the scheduling. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> That's right. Definitely. So did you did you start immediately in public accounting? Because I was looking online, it looks like pretty much all your career has been in public. Is that correct? That's correct. I hadn't fully decided that public was the only way to go. I was fortunate, though, that I had an advisor. One of the student organizations I was in had a business advisory board, and one hmm. of the members was a lady named Suzanne Wall. And she had her own executive recruiter firm for 30 years, and she really got to know us. We would give presentations to them and that we were really accountable to this business advisory board. She told me that I really needed to go into public, and this is the size firm I need to go to. And she really gave me a good, without a a true paper and pencil test, a, a good personality test per se results of what she knew of me. And she was she was exactly right. It, it's really impressive. But she she really pushed me towards public. And fortunately, I, I listened to someone who was a lot smarter than I was. Okay. Was it was it uh, a formal like assessment that she gave you or, or this was sort of a subjective? No. Not at all, complete, completely based upon the conversations and interactions okay. that the two of us had had. Okay, okay. I was just curious. So she recommended a certain size firm or a certain type of firm. What was that recommendation? She basically told me that I would not enjoy being at any place, public or not, any place that I could not feel my impact. And she was right about that. I was in organizations, and I was always one of the student officers and would always push an agenda and push to get things done. And she told me that if you start in too large of a place, then you will not be able to feel that impact for quite a significant period of time. So she encouraged me, and I did go into a firm that had 25 individuals, and that included audit, tax, and consulting, IT, uh, everything you can think of. It was relatively full service, but a very small number of specialized individuals. Interesting. Okay. So what was your what was your first role in that firm? My first role, I started out uh, kind of traditionally audit staff pretty much worked my way up to audit senior in my first firm. I did get into, and, and, and I always have liked this, and we may talk about this a little bit later too, but I always liked the, the teaching and learning aspect of public accounting. So I would teach the continuing education basically since after I was there about six months. I started teaching any of the new pronouncements for the entire audit group, which wasn't a lot of people, but Still, they they relied on me to digest and the best I could to present what the new standards were going to say. Of course, when you start six months later or six months into a position, you you don't know everything and what all the impacts will be because you just don't know all the clients and you don't have enough experience. But it definitely was 
definitely was a significant opportunity for me to not just digest the standards, but to try to anticipate what the questions and clarifications were going to be from anywhere from audit senior up to the audit partner. Interesting. You know, actually, I did want to ask you about that. I noticed that you've been adjunct faculty at least a couple schools. Were were you testing it out to see if you might want to do it long-term in the future, or or are you trying to scratch that itch? (laughs) That's, That's definitely one way to term it. I know when I was graduating with my accounting degree, there was a professor that had asked me, and she was the head of the school of management for my undergraduate. And she she asked me straight out, have you ever considered teaching at a university level, getting a PhD and doing that long-term? And I know I was certainly complimented by, by somebody saying that when I was just graduating myself, but I, I did engross myself. It was very obvious. I worked for the school of management while I was in college and I absolutely love tutoring students. I I was in charge of the uh, accounting lab. And so students would come in and I would tutor them. And of course, Mm -hmm. I was still learning the stuff myself. So I was still trying to teach somebody and going, okay, which one is that? Oh, that's going to be, that's normal balance is a debit. So I I was still at that basic level, but, but I got a lot more repetition as an undergraduate that way. And so it kind of put that little seed in my head. And so I I continued to think about it. So when that opportunity arose, initially it was absolutely simply to see what it's going to be like to teach at the collegiate level. It was an executive MBA program, managerial accounting, something that theoretically I'm doing every day. Not only theoretically, I'm actually doing it every day. And then when when I decided to, there was kind of a couple of summers I couldn't do it. And so I was asked again, but this time for intermediate and that time that that was more scratching my I I love to teach type bug. And I always wanted to teach intermediate. I I know it's a wow, the weed out course in so many universities for for good reason. There's a lot of material. It's just difficulty aside. It's just a lot of information. And I wanted to see, well, how well can I do that? Interesting. Now I'm curious, with everything you hear about taking intermediate accounting, I've never asked the professors if they enjoy teaching it. <laughs> it seems like it would be quite a challenge. How long did you teach intermediate? You know, I've, I've taught that uh, section of intermediate just twice. I've, okay. This summer, I've taken the summer off. I'm not doing that this summer. It's, I'm just a little too tied up, and then I have a couple of things that are out of town. I will say that I absolutely love teaching the class. Sometimes the, the, the grading or the administrative side of things isn't the part that I love about teaching, but actually teaching intermediate itself and kind of sharing some of the stories. You know, you and I are talking about certain things here today, and that's how I teach the, the intermediate classes. Okay, here's, here's what you need to know, and here's a story about how that impacts. Here's something where you don't think about a period versus a product cost, but try to think of it this way. Instead of exactly what the book says, think of it this way, and you'll become a little bit more clear in your mind. And again, just to continue to illustrate examples and kind of tell them, here's, here's some real world versus technical stuff, and here's where in the real world we can be better, and here's 
where the real world's a little bit better than the, the technical way the book says it. It's more representative. And of course, in accounting, there's not that many differences between real world and, and what the book says, but there's, there's certainly some differences. Interesting. You said you really love it. What, what is it about teaching that you enjoy so much? It's hard to pinpoint just one thing that, that I enjoy about it. However, I, I, I do know that when I was in school, I, uh, my undergraduate program, I had three different accounting professors. That's it. And each one of those individuals share a lot of information. They would give you the personal attention. They would, it was clear that they loved what they did. And I have no doubt that, that today I have a, a, a lot, um, a lot of what, who I am, what I am today rather is, is due to those individuals caring so much and, and giving back. So it's not enough just to, to learn some items. If you have somebody that's kind of changed either who you are, where you are professionally, kind of your attitude. And none of them, none of those three individuals were, were easy. They were hard. They didn't make accounting easy for me as far as oversimplifying things so that when I got out in the real world, I was shocked. They gave it to us straight. They, they made it hard, but they, they made it hard the right way, that in such a way that when I came out, I was like, wow, I, I really felt like the first time I was on an audit, I was like, wow, Dr. Irving really taught us what we needed to know. I didn't fully realize it when I was in the classroom setting, but I really know what an audit's like. And none of this stuff is surprising me because she taught me so well. And part of that kind of makes me want to do the same thing for other individuals. And it's, you know, it, hmm. it is exciting when people come up to you and they're like, you know, I get that. I, somebody's talked to me about this before and I never understood it. And you just gave me an example that, completely makes sense and I can apply it. And we do this at my job, especially a lot of students today. They're, they're working and some of them are in accounting already. They're like, I did this yesterday and I had no idea why I was doing it. And now, now I understand why. And it kind of makes you feel good. Hmm. Have you ever hired any of the individuals at, at Howard that I you ended up having for class or that you had for class earlier just by chance? I have. I figured <laughs> that's, not, that's not the intent, but uh, no. I do direct recruiting and employee development here at Howard. So uh, oh. I certainly keep my eyes open for such situations. Okay. Well, for the record, I didn't know that actually. I just, I just assumed by chance, you know, you're in the area, you're teaching accounting that eventually some of those people are going to apply at your firm. <laughs> Absolutely. And I am, I am unabashed in that area. There's, some students that towards the end of the term, I'll just tell them that flat out, hey, I, I think you should be in public accounting. And if I think they should be auditors, I tell them and I tell them why. I think they should be tax people, I tell them and tell them why. And I tell them I'm happy if they would apply with my firm. And if they're not interested, they research us. They're not interested enough that uh, I have contact with other firms that, you know, some people do want to go to a big firm and don't want to stay in public and they already know it. So whatever course that they may have already laid out in their mind, I try to address it. So I don't, you know, I, I feel a little bad in, in some ways because I, I don't want to use the influence as an instructor to just get what I want because that's not the case at all. But if they clearly have an infinity that fits a, a certain profile, absolutely. I'll, I'll say, hey, you really need to consider public. You really need to consider being an auditor. 
And of course, they can disagree with me, or I can only judge based upon what I see. And so sometimes they're like, no, nah, nope, that doesn't sound good. I don't want to do audit. I want to do tax. I don't want to be out of the office all the time. Okay. Well, sure. You know, their eventual goal is to get a job. So, you know, you're just giving them a double benefit. And, and frankly, you have a vested interest to be a good professor then. <laughs> oh, that's, that's you... absolutely true. That's absolutely true. We had uh, one individual that was an uh, intern here because of an intermediate class that I taught. And he ended up winning a national, I think he was runner up in a national accounting contest. Uh, he had to write a, a paper. And so I got information about that. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was all me. I, mm-hmm. I wish. But nonetheless, it does make you feel good. Yeah. 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 Well, I know this is going a little different direction than at least than I originally intended, but I'm going to take the opportunity to ask you this because in my experience, one of the decisions that students struggle with is, you know, which direction should I go? If they're thinking about public, you know, should it be audit, should it be tax? And and you're in the classroom and you said you're openly telling you know, an individual if you think that audit may be better for them or tax may be better for them. So what are you basing that on and, and what do you think they should base that on? That's definitely a very individualized answer, but nonetheless, what I try to do is share more of some of the background or maybe a little bit more insight because so many people do think the the basic or, or surface information that audit's always out of the office and this is what they do. And, and there, are, there are definitely jokes. Audits are people who go out and they have a little more personality and the tech people are in the office and they, they like to be antisocial. Not really true. Best tech accountants I know are the most social people I know. But nonetheless, uh, I do describe kind of... When you get down to the bottom layer, what audit versus tax people really do and how long you'll spend in getting into the details versus, you know, pulling back from that. And I, and I let them know that, you know, it's it's the tax people that know the structuring. You know, most businesses make a lot of decisions on structuring based upon tax advantages. And so they do a lot of the structuring. Then once they're done with the structuring, the audit people take over. They they may help with internal controls or they may be auditing a company, but they're they're more operational and process-based. And then when the, the owner is ready to sell a business, they hand it back over to the tax people and they help sell that business at the most tax-advantaged way that they can to the extent that that's possible. So there, there's the, the basic audit tax that tax compliance focused, but really audit kind of is too, just in a different way. But it's not tax isn't just transferring numbers onto a form and and audit isn't just taking a red pencil and making a check mark. So I I try to give them a little more background on let's pretend you stay in this profession for a period of time. What what is it ultimately that you're going to be doing a lot of? And if you're in the public accounting sector for a long time, you're going to do a lot of consulting. So I, I try to hit what they would be consulting most on. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Oh, that's, that's the best answer I know. There's, there's, I've heard so many answers in that area. I don't know that there is a right answer. No, that's, that's, a, that's a good explanation of it. And basically, you're tailoring it to the individual and making, letting them make the decision, of course. But uh, no, that's good. This, this will be good for some of our you know, younger listeners that are you know, still in college or, or getting ready to get out and make that decision. So now you've been at Howard for over a decade. That's right. 
Yeah, it's worked out well for you. <laughs> I'm not complaining. <laughs> I guess what makes public accounting or, or audit, for that matter, I guess, such a good fit for you? What, what do you enjoy the most about it? Well, audit specifically, I enjoy being out of the office, kind of, kind of the stereotypical stuff, being out of the office. I like being in the CFO's office and kind of sitting down and chit-chatting about whatever it is that's keeping them up at night about public accounting specifically, and I just absolutely enjoy having an accounting imagination, which is different from a creative accounting, but the, just the, you know, how do 200 different companies do this same thing? So I, I, when, when clients that I'm consulting with have a problem, it, obviously you can't divulge client-specific stuff, but o- over 17 years, I don't know which client does AP which way. But I definitely know a lot of different ways that you can approach, you know, a check approval or whatever the case may be. You just kind of get this imagination of other ways that problems can be solved. And it's something that I just I just couldn't give up. So I don't know how I would ever leave public. Okay. You enjoy the consulting aspect, basically, the helping the client Absolutely. aspect. Absolutely. And that that's definitely why I, I am where I am. It's you know, we don't do publicly traded companies intentionally. Part of it is we, we like to have our flexible schedules, but, but the other part is sometimes clients aren't upset if we propose an adjustment, whereas, you know, when I was with a bigger firm, clients would be upset if you propose an adjustment. No, don't don't touch my books. In this case, they're like, oh, you're right. That is the right way to do it. We did it wrong. Okay, no big deal. Thanks for helping. Okay. Yeah, tell us a little bit about Howard, because I'm familiar with the name, but I, yeah, I'm in South Texas, so I'm not as familiar with the firm. I guess what size is Howard? Do you guys have any specialties in particular? Uh, Howard, we, we attempt to be a, a full-service firm, and we're, we're pretty much there. We have okay. 55, 60 professionals. really depends on the time of year. We, we certainly do have uh, interns as well, so sometimes that number is a little bit larger. We have our, our traditional audit, tax, uh, consulting. We do a fair amount of merger acquisition work. We also do a fair amount of litigation support. We have a, a number of attorneys who refer work to us simply to, to basically clean up wh- whatever it may be. Sometimes it's structuring. Sometimes the books just weren't in that great a shape. And so we're used to reconstructing books or reconstructing the structuring on, on a tax or overall basis. Okay. Given that you're a partner there, I guess, yeah, obviously, that's the goal of some accounting graduates. There's several different ways to go in accounting, but one of those ways is, is through public accounting and up to partner, you know, one of the career growth paths. What, what are your thoughts on what it takes to get to partner, to be a good partner? What, what are your thoughts in, in that respect? To be a successful be- partner, I guess. It's a better way to say that. <laughs> Certainly. Well, I mean, there's definitely two parts. Being successful partner and getting to partner sometimes are two different answers. There's some commonality there. Getting to partner, it's the first thing to know is that the title partner is, is seen that way. It's, that's a title, and I want to get there because I'm the boss. But partner is just the, the type of business that it is. You're in, you're in a partnership, and so it means you're a business owner. And I think many times, as simple as that is, many times that miss. I've had many students over the years say, oh, I want to be a partner. I was like, oh, you want to be a business owner? They're like, no, I want to be a partner in public accounting. I'm like, okay, that, that's what I said. It's a business owner. 
It's just a certain type of business. So when you think about what it takes to become a business owner or what it takes to run a business, people start realizing, oh, well, it's not just being really, really good technically. So if my only attributes were that I know the audit standards really well or I know the accounting standards really well, that won't necessarily make me a very good partner. It will make me good at advising clients probably, but that doesn't mean I'd be very good at running a business. So that's one thing just on the front end, that just the title partner. We change that sometimes when we talk to students and say a business owner. Um, their, yeah. their views sometimes change because it's no longer just a title. It's, it, it's a type of individual within a firm or a type of individual within a business. To be successful as, as a partner, first thing, I, I mean, I, I think listening and communication skills are, are absolutely key. With the Dallas CPA Society, we recently had a CPE event. It's, it's eight hours of continuing education. And myself and one of the other board members had a session that we, we talked about uh, generational leadership, just what were some characteristics of different generations and some key characteristics of leadership that are kind of cross-generational, that you can kind of know these generational statistics and approaches to make your communication or your authenticity resonate throughout the ge- different generations. And we definitely were talking about listening and communication and the fact that a lot of times we're used to, when we want to have a conversation with someone, we're used to walking into somebody's office and saying, hey, I need you to X. And you may say a couple of other sentences about whatever whatever it is that you need. And that person says, okay. And then you walk out of the office saying, oh, that was successful. That was a good communication. But all the other person said was okay. They didn't say they understand. They didn't repeat it back. All they said was okay. And so the the focus in communication should be that mutual understanding. So that's definitely a a very big item that I think can't be missed. It's just you can't understress listening and just having an actual conversation versus just speaking at somebody thinking that they understand. And that will make you less frustrated as you move up the rungs to audit senior or a tax manager, a partner, a business owner, you'll be less frustrated with those around you when you realize that, okay, this mistake was made, but it was actually my fault because I didn't communicate everything. I thought I did, but then when I saw the product of what I asked, it wasn't what I wanted. And that's actually my fault. Most of the time, it's your fault. If you want something done and it's not done that way, everybody wants to make everybody else happy. Well, 99% of the time, anyway. So that communication was one thing that we talked about, and I, I think it's key. The, the other, I think, is just general leadership skills, just realizing that the days of just telling people what to do, you have to tell them how they fit within the organization, how what they're doing every day is advancing, not just yourself, but advancing the total cause. It's advancing the team. So I, I think many times that People don't know where they fit within an organization, and it's something that's hard to do because we're all trying to figure that out every day. I mean, even as a partner, I've tried to figure out where I best fit, where where my talents are, you know, best utilized. And maybe I don't sit there and on my drive every single morning and say, "How is this going to work? What am I going to do today? What? How am I going to work only in the places that I'm best suited?" I may not do that every single day, but it is something I consider. So I have to know that everyone around me, every other T 
team member at Howard has to think about how they fit in the team. And as they progress, how is their role going to change? Because it's, it's constantly redefining itself. So that does get back to communication. But uh, I think some of the, the leadership skills, being a manager is different than being a leader. Sure. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I really, I really like what you were saying about the business owner aspect, because I think that a lot of individuals, are, or it's easy for individuals to think of partner equals higher salary and profit sharing. And then I think the next level is, well, I'm in management, so I have to make management decisions as well in terms of, you know, like staff and management of workload. But but I think a lot of people, at least earlier in their career, they they missed the point of you you also have to make decisions about running the business, period, because it's it's partially yours now. <laughs> right. That's that's a great point, which is a lot different than than some other, I guess, some other industries. That's interesting, yeah, because a lot of them don't have a, that clear track to partner. So that's very interesting. Thank you. That's good insight. Well, you know, the, the business owner aspect is something else that just nationally that we talk about with a, a lot of the students who graduate now. They say, well, I want to be a business owner. Okay, well, great. What are you going to do? And they're going to invent an app or whatever it is that they're going to do to create a business one day. And they leave public accounting and they forget that being a partner is a business owner, that you're an entrepreneur. I I think all the time, you know, we added uh, information system audits this last year as a firm. And that was continuing to train ourselves and to, to grow. And so we're thinking of new revenue streams. It's very entrepreneurial to be a partner. And so if you think of the flip side, you know, you think of the importance and the weight of having someone else's job on the line when you're picking up clients or when you're communicating to clients, hopefully not making them angry so they don't leave. There's also the flip side of that, that students need to know that that is being a business owner. And so you don't need to leave public to own a business. That's right. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. You know, I'm curious, it, it, you sound like you've had a wonderful career and, and you're very, you know, pleased and, and comfortable. Pleased maybe is a wrong word, but that, that you're comfortable with how it's went, you know, that kind of thing. If you could go back in time and, and give your younger self any piece of advice, what do you think that might be? That is a very easy question just because I know myself <laughs> so well. I would tell myself to be more patient with myself. Hmm. There are so many times that. I, I don't know where to set the bar for myself. I, I I never listen to somebody else and let them set the bar for me. And so wherever someone else sets the bar, I'm going to set it a little bit higher. But regardless of where I set it, there are definitely times that I disappointed myself. It's like, why didn't I get that? Or why didn't I think of that? Whether it's, everything's always easy when someone tells you how to do it. And sure. so there's so many times that I was... I was impatient with myself. Sometimes I probably would have had more learning opportunities if I wasn't pushing so hard to, you know, it, it's easy because you see, you see this, oh, I can be a senior in a couple of years and it, it feels like a carrot that's dangling in front of you. And so I'm going to push hard to get to that carrot. And sometimes you have to keep your eyes open for other opportunities that you don't know how they're going to affect your career. You don't know how you're going to learn from that project. It sounds like it's a a boring project, and so you don't want to do it. And it turns out you learn so much from it. And so there's even on projects that I did do that I I just 
at the time I was performing them, I was impatient. I want to be done with this. This isn't going to help my career. I don't, I don't see, I, I understand. I have to help the team, but I, I just wasn't patient enough knowing that uh, I should have known that there, there's reasons that you go through some of these things. And yes, it's, it's okay to spend the time to dig into the general ledger detail sometimes so that when there's an issue, you know how to dig through it. Don't always push everything back to the client. Kind of take a look. Oh, you're having a problem with this account. Well, nine times out of 10, you have a problem with one of these two other accounts and just figuring out those relationships. And so there's, there's certainly a couple of times I was impatient that uh, I wish, you know, I could have told my younger self, Take a deep breath, Tim. You'll get there if you, you pay attention and keep your eyes on your lane, and you, you'll get there. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's good for a lot of us to hear, <laughs> me included. <laughs> well, people listening to this won't know, but we got started a little late because of the technical difficulty, and, and I want to be respectful of your time. I did, I did mention that I like to give my guests the opportunity to talk about any you know, nonprofit interest or events coming up. And, and this episode will end up airing in June. So you know, are there any events in the late summer or later this year that you'd like to, to point out to the, the audience? Certainly. We've been expanding our not-for-profit approach just, just as a firm for who we serve. But at the same time, we've, in the past couple of years, had more community impact programs. So we have a, a build a program where we're building back-to-school backpacks. It's for the Dallas County Child Protective Services, actually. So we literally, it, it's its very descriptive, a truth in advertising here. We get get backpacks, putting together school supplies that we're going to be doing this as a firm on, on June 21st. And we always try to do a, a few of these events each year, always remembering what we need to do to kind of help serve our community. Wonderful. Well, if there's any information online that you want to email to me, I'll be happy to include that in the show notes when we post the, the episode. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, getting to the final questions I ask all my guests, I, I like to keep it sort of consistent towards the end. So number one, what's been your proudest moment? My proudest moment was probably a few years ago. I was at the Dallas CPA Society's annual meeting well, we mm-hmm. just have one of those meetings per year. We don't have a mid, mid-year quarterly meetings that we all get together. So it's just the annual meeting, and uh, both Jim Howard, the founding partner of Howard, just, just like it sounds, he he was there, and uh, I was a little surprised. He was involved on the Dallas Society Board uh, quite a number of years ago, and I, I was up for election for the board of the Dallas chapter, and I thought, well, that's you know, it's already been through nominations. I didn't really understand why he was there. And at that meeting, they they gave me a special recognition just for the activity I had in society this last year, or that last year, not this last year. And they started listing off what I was involved with, the different committees and whatnot. And when they got done reading, I got back to my seat. Jim leaned over to me and he's like, man, I, I never knew you were involved in all those things. And I said, well, I didn't do it to brag about it. And so we had a conversation about the importance of, you know, doing things for the right reasons. And, you know, he's the founding partner of our firm. And it, it just, it was a good feeling. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. That is good. Well, tell us about a mistake you've made, what you learned from it, 
And we like the big mistakes. So the more colossal, the better. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I have quite a few colossal mistakes to pick from. Uh, but <laughs> the, the biggest mistake I think I've probably made was was not trusting my gut after I had a, a certain amount of experience, uh, enough experience to know better. Hmm. I was working on a particular engagement with a, a an audit partner that I no longer work with, no longer with our firm. It was a client that was a construction client, so they used uh, work in process uh, accounting uh, to recognize revenue. And there were certain things about the way they record transactions that I believed certain testing methods needed to be used. And this was about five years ago, so I was a senior manager. I knew a fair amount about accounting at that point, you should hope. <laughs> I also happen to be a certified fraud examiner, so I've had some other somewhat specialized training in detecting fraud. And during this engagement, there's a couple testing approaches I wanted to use. And the partner on the engagement basically said, no, that's a waste of time. I didn't think so, but he, he was the partner. He was signing my check and I said, oh, okay. I'm not sure at that time, I couldn't go back and tell you what I was thinking in my head, whether I thought he's wrong and I should report him. I can't remember exactly what I was thinking, but I didn't agree but not so vehemently that I did something about it immediately. This engagement had enough going on that the managing partner of our firm, who's also a peer reviewer, reviewed the file. And when he went through the file, he called both that partner and myself into his office. And when he reviewed that file, he said, why didn't you do this or this? And he looked at the partner and the partner kind of just shrugged. And he, he looked at me and I said, well, I may have recommended doing those things. And he was like, why didn't you? I said, well, I didn't want to get in trouble. I, I, was, I felt like between a rock and a hard place, but sure. I said, well, I was asked not to. Mm. Man, I, I won't forget what he said. He, he just said, I don't care if this guy's a partner. If you think you found something, you do something about it. And he, I mean, he, he's dressing down me and the partner at the same time because he was telling the partner, hey, you're wrong and people are allowed to, say something about it. And that, that was pretty poignant. And that, that was a pretty big mistake because that's, that's what we're here to do. And, and I, I let someone else's gut substitute for my own. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's something you'll never forget. <laughs> no, nope. uh, that's a good, never happening again. That's for sure. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's good for people to hear because yeah, it's, it's easy to not pay attention to that internal voice when when you've got some outside pressure. So that's good. Thank you very much. Well, I always like to end every, end every podcast on, on a high note. I think advice is always, or positive advice is always a, a good way to do that. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice I ever received, at first I thought was the most self-serving piece of advice I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> I had a partner at the large firm I worked at prior to Howard that told me, your job is to make me look good. And I thought, well, okay, that sounds rude. But he, he related it. He paused long enough for, for me to think exactly what he expected me to think. And then he explained, my job is to make the managing partner of this office look good. He was like, the job of your staff is to make you look good. You should always be worried about whoever." That is above you. There's always someone else to make look good. So everything that you're doing, think that someone else is going to judge that person based upon what you're doing. 
And so I was like, wow. And so I really thought about that. And even though sometimes that's kind of hard advice to relate to someone else, especially you're just starting your career and you hear a partner saying, you need to make me look good. It it doesn't ring as, as true, but you get into the profession a couple of years and you're like, wow, if if my managing partner here at Howard is judged based upon my work, I need to do as good as I can because I definitely don't want them being judged based upon my average report work. That that makes just a world of sense. I mean, if you think about the golden rule, you know, treat others as you would want to be treated. I mean, if you would like, obviously, people you delegate work to to do their best because it's a reflection on you and so vice versa, you know, whoever you're working for. That, yeah. That is good advice. I would have taken it the same way you did at first. That That is wonderful advice, though. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Tim, this has been a great interview. I, I, I didn't expect all the conversation about, you know, loving teaching and then getting into what being a partner at an accounting firm really means. And, and I think there's some just some wonderful lessons in, in there for us. So thank you very much. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate you taking the time for this. And I hope you have a wonderful summer. Take care. Thank you. You too, Mark. Well, that was my interview with Tim Pike of Howard LLP in Dallas. As I mentioned in the intro, that interview had a few different twists that I wasn't anticipating initially, but I think that made it all the more valuable. If you're thinking about public accounting as an option, Tim definitely has some good advice on making the choice of what area may work best for you. And I really appreciated the frank conversation about what it truly means to be a partner at a firm. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to go back in the archives and find the episode where I interviewed John Bruce, a tax partner at BKD in San Antonio. There's a lot of similar information in that interview, and I think it'll really interest you as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Please tell a friend about us. You can find us in the iTunes directory, on Stitcher, and a few others as well. Or, of course, on our home website at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. That's whereaccountantsgo.com. That wraps up another episode. Until next week, we hope to see you again. There's more to come.